You know, it's interesting to me, Habakkuk, I've, I mentioned to you, is one of the least read books in the Bible. All, most of the minor prophets are the least read. And uh, you don't hear messages very much from them. Uh, although I, I was realizing when I was studying it this week, you know what, I think I preached on this a few years back, the last few verses of Habakkuk, but in combination with something else. But, and I thought as I was doing the study for this, how relevant this book is to you and I today. Okay, so maybe you read the book during the week, it's only three chapters. Uh, it's, it's very much a relevant book. Now it's different than the other minor prophets because the other minor prophets is just the prophet bringing the message of judgment from God, get right, you know what I'm saying, and then there's a promise. This one is Habakkuk's prayer to God. He's bringing a message from the people to God. Okay, and, and I think as we get into it, we're going to understand and we're going to relate to him. Okay, so why, why don't we begin, first of all, with chapter one. We're going to look at the first four verses, okay, and then I'm going to go through this with you, okay? So verse one says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. So let me stop. What does that mean, he saw? Maybe it was a vision who came to him, and maybe he had an interaction with God in a vision, but he saw this, Okay. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. And so justice goes forth perverted. Okay, so first question before we look at this, can you relate to him? Can you relate to what he's talking about here? This, this is a complaint. We'll use the word complaint. He's obviously perplexed. You know what I'm saying? So how can, why can you relate to him? Does this sound like you sometimes? Does this sound like you after you watch the news? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so why, why can we relate, we relate to him? Okay, all right, so we feel the same way. Anybody else got another comment or you want to, you're like, yeah, I agree with that. You know what I'm saying? Do you agree with what, what uh, Tim is saying there? You know, anybody else got any thoughts there? So this is his struggle. Did somebody, was somebody going to say something? Gene. Yeah, nothing's changed in a couple thousand years, right? Yeah, yeah, and nothing's changed at all in almost 3,000 years here. And I don't think nothing's changed very much in all of human history. When you, can, when you think about what we assume God will do and our perplexity. So here, here's what I want you to do. We're going to look, first of all, the first statement I already mentioned to you. The writer introduces the prophecy as an oracle that Habakkuk saw. So it obviously might have been a vision of him having an interaction with God. So here's what I want you to see. Habakkuk questions why the Lord will not hear his prayers for help. That's a really, that's a really good question, isn't it? 
Because how often are you, when you're thinking about what's going on around you, when you look, not just forget the nat on a national level, we can always point to that, but just looking at locally, where you are in your family and the stuff that you're facing, where you are in our community and the stuff that's happening locally in our communities and stuff, it's, it's easy to go to God and complain, God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting this person do this? Why is this, seems like these folks are always getting away with it. And God, why does it seem like justice doesn't happen? Is, is that not normally a thing that we wrestle with? So what we see here is the prophet is what? He's voicing what we feel. I mean, you can relate to what he's saying here, right? You can relate to, okay, God, why aren't you showing up? You know what I'm saying? Why, why aren't you here? Why aren't you coming? Why aren't you doing something? And so Habakkuk complains that violence and injustice are prevalent and the Lord does nothing. Do you know what I'm saying? The Lord does nothing. And so as good Christians, we'll say, okay, but you know, I've got to trust the Lord. I won't, I don't understand this, and I'll just be quiet because I know that's what I'm doing. But yet on the inside, you're like, why aren't you doing something, God? Why aren't you doing something? So he's really expressing how we feel. And we feel that way, right? Will we be honest enough to say that? Yeah, we feel that way. So here's what the Lord's response is. It's actually, it's interesting. So look with me, here's his answer. Verse five, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days. And you would not believe that you would not believe if told. Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth, who seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity goes forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and fiercer than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They also come for violence, all their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. All right, so here's what the Lord's response is. It's actually quite interesting. So here's what, it's like, he doesn't answer him. Would you, would you say that? It doesn't seem like God's answering him. I mean, his answer, I mean, think about what his question is. God, why aren't you hearing me? All this stuff's going on around me, the violence, the injustice. It seems like the wicked are getting away from me. And here's what God says. Look at the nations. Here's what I'm doing. I'm sending this big army. And boy, are they fierce. Does it seem like God's answering him? What's your initial thoughts there? Does it seem like God's answering him? I think God's answering him, but he's not answering him the way that I think he's expecting. God's like, I am doing something. I'm building this up to help this problem. But we want the answer now. We want to help him now, not that way. So I think God's answering him this time on our 
Okay, that's good. So what you're saying, Tim, is, is God is answering him. He's giving him an answer, but it may not be the answer that Habakkuk wants. Habakkuk wants a direct answer like, here's why I'm not doing this, Habakkuk. You know what I'm saying? But he's giving him a different, because he's pointing to something else. Is that what you're saying? Okay. How many of you agree with uh, Tim? Do you see what's going on here? Because that's exactly what he's doing. All right, because what he's doing here by saying, look among the nations, he's actually caused the prophet to see the bigger nations, the bigger picture of the nations and be astounded. Look at the bigger picture. Now, why would that be significant for us? Because when you are complaining to God about your problem or what you perceive happening in your world and in your community and the nations, and you're like, God, why aren't you listening to me? God, why aren't you doing something? Here's God saying, look among the nations and be astounded. This is what I'm doing. What, what, what's he doing with that? that? That's not the answer you want to hear, but what is God doing when he does that? Because we have a tendency to what? Okay, yeah, Gene, you did blinders. Like, we have blinders on. All we can see is what? Tunnel vision. We, we only see what involves us. You know what I'm saying? And so if I, if I you know, I, my wife and my kids laugh at me because I walk like a penguin. I don't know if you ever noticed. You'll be watching me now. Because what, I mean, I walk like Bozo the Clown. My feet are off to the side. I don't walk with them straight like this. I don't know how I could do that. But I walk like this with my feet to an angle. And, and because I do that in my big feet, I always catch something. Okay? Meaning I always hit my toe on something. And we've got lots of funny stories in our household of me catching my foot and ripping off a nail somewhere or whatever because, you know, my feet are like that. And here's what happens. When I hit my toe on something, my whole focus, it doesn't matter what else is going on around me because right now I've got pain. Where's my focus? And I miss everything else around me. In fact, my toe is the focus of my focus for several days especially if I hit it hard and rip a nail off. Do you know what I'm saying? But that's kind of like where we're at. We're, our focus gets narrowed. So God, why aren't you doing this? I've got this going on. This is happening. Why? It seems like justice. You know, we need justice here. God says, look, look at the bigger picture. Look at the nations and be astounded. Here's what I'm doing. Okay. He's telling you to look beyond. And so the Lord states that he's raising up the Babylonians who are coming against Judah. I'm raising up. I mean, you're, you're upset by the injustice. You're upset by, by all this stuff that's happening, the violence and everything. Because what he's talking about, folks, he's talking about what's happening in their culture with them in Judah. And God, why aren't you doing something about what's happening in Judah? And God says, look, look at what I'm doing. I am doing something. It may not be the answer you want, because that's not the answer he wants. It's judgment, right? But God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians who are going to come and who are going to come against you, who are going to do something. So next thing I want you to see 
is what he ends up doing then through a lot of verses here, most of his section here, he is uh, um, basically uh, saying this is who they are. He describes the fierce nature of the Babylonian army, okay? Fierce nature of the Babylonian army. That's his first complaint. So here's how God says, look at the bigger picture. So what can we learn from that? That's the first response. First thing, where are you, God? Why aren't you doing something? Why are you allowing this to happen? God says, get the bigger picture. Is there something there for us to learn? Not to focus on ourselves, but we have that tendency, don't we, John? Because it's really only about us, right? Yeah? Yeah, it's not about, it's not about me, you know? Although today is Father's Day, so it is about me. It's about you, George, okay? All right, so, no, no, I'm just kidding. You seemed like you had a thought there, Gene. Well, I'm, I'm, at the beginning of the chapter, he's, he's crying out, Habakkuk is crying out violence, and now he's saying, you know, the Lord is telling him he's going to use more violence. Okay, well, to punish them, yes. So, yeah, but I think there's a little bit of difference here. He... Punishment was always going to include violence. But what he's saying is, God, my culture is upside down. People are showing violence towards each other and nobody's being held accounted, accountable. The law is being perverted. Did you understand what I'm saying? And uh, what's right is now wrong and what's wrong is now right and so therefore he's looking at it God why are you allowing this to happen he's looking at the culture of Judah and Jerusalem and he's saying how can this keep happening why are you letting this happen okay which is a natural response from us and God says well whoa, whoa, whoa. you're acting like I'm not doing it get a bigger picture here I'm taking care of this only the way I'm taking care of it you're not going to like which then leads to his second question. Because you're apprehensive of, wow, you're going to bring violence? That, I don't know if that's a good answer. Habakkuk didn't think it was either. He thought like Eugene. He didn't think it was a good answer either. What do you mean? Well, let's look at it. Look with me at verse 12. Here's what he says in verse 12. You say, what do you mean he thinks like Gene? Well, look at what he says here. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Who shall not die? O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil. And cannot look at the wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he, who make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler, who brings them all up with a hook and drags them out with his net and gathers them in his dragnet, who rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices sacrifices to the net and makes offering to the dragnet and by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich is he then 
to keep on employing his neck and mercilessly killing nations forever. I will take my stand at my watch post and my station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Okay, so here's what he's complaining, okay? I think we can relate to this. Here's his second complaint. First of all, he knows, he, knowing that the Lord is sovereign. So that's the first part of what he says here. Aren't you the God who, who you're the Holy One, you're pure, you, you can't stand the sight of evil. Aren't you the sovereign one who controls everything? So knowing that the Lord is the sovereign one, he questions the use of the ungodly. He says, why are you using these people, the Babylonians? They're ungodly. And so what he does then in this passage is, is he uses the illustration of a fisherman who's using nets. This is describing the Babylonians. He's using an illustration here of somebody who's constantly fishing and killing, killing, and, and heaping to himself and even worships his nets rather than giving God the glory for, the, for what he's receiving. He's worshiping the nets, okay? So he's, he's questioning how, God, can you use those kind of people then? You say you're answering me and I'm supposed to see the bigger picture, but I don't understand the bigger picture if you're using these kind of people. You think that's a legitimate complaint? Do you think Habakkuk is legitimate in expressing that kind of viewpoint? Like, how can you use them? You know, because you're pure. You're, you, I mean, you could do anything. Is that a legitimate complaint? Yeah, because that, we can't think that way, right? We don't know how that's possible. So the prophet struggles to understand how God could use a brutal, idolatrous people. How can you use such a brutal people? They don't even worship you. How can you use them? Yeah, because he's God. And, and it's interesting, Scripture says, his ways are what? Higher than our ways. You know, all of our wisdom, God's foolishness, Paul says, is greater than all of our wisdom. His foolishness is... So, if we can't understand it, we can't understand it. Because God does things, he doesn't... He, God, God doesn't check with me at five in the morning and say, okay, George, how am I going to handle this? Does he do that with you? Rob, do you get a five o'clock wake-up call saying, here, Rob, what do you want? No, I, no, not at all. And actually, aren't we glad for that? Because I've had coffee with some of you, and I'm like, boy, I'm glad you're not the one in charge. And you're thinking the same thing when you're talking to me. Glad I'm not, aren't we glad George is not the one in charge? You know what I'm saying? Because our thinkings of what we think need to happen... But God is the one who's in charge. But Habakkuk is really struggling with how can God do this? You know what I'm saying? So here, here's the other thing. The prophet stations himself at verse 2. He stations himself as he anticipates a response from the Lord concerning his complaints. So here's what he does. It's okay to complain. You're trying to figure it out. You can't figure it out. You're wrestling and you're doubting and you're sitting there and you're like, God, how, why is this happening? I, it's okay to complain, but notice what the prophet is doing now. The prophet is saying, I'm waiting for your answer. 
I'm stationing myself like a watchman on the wall waiting for an answer from you, God. That's what he's doing in verse 1, okay? Verse 1, he's, he's waiting for an answer, okay? He's waiting for an answer. So God gives him an answer in chapter 2, okay? So there's a lot of verses here I'm looking at the time, so we'll, we'll just kind of go through it here. He's going to tell him about the destruction of Babylon. Yes, he's using them, but he's using them because he's using them because he also has to punish them later on. We don't think that way. <laughs> but then again, we're not God, are we? Okay, so here's what I want you to see. The Lord tells the prophet to write down the vision and know that it will happen. In fact, let's look at it. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So, okay, so he says, know that this is going to happen. I'm going to show you something. Know that it's going to happen. In fact, when the time of its while the time of its fulfillment is slow, the Lord states it shall surely come. He's saying, so look, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to these people. But you're going to wonder when. It's, going to, it's taking time. He says, no, it'll surely happen. In fact, folks, it did happen 70 years later. 70 years after the fall of Babylon, excuse me, the fall of Jerusalem, Babylon fell to who? The Medo-Persians. God says it's going to surely happen. So know this. I'm the one in charge. Here's what I'm, I'm giving you a bigger picture. You're worried about why would I use these? They're going to be destroyed as well. Okay, here's what goes on now. Here's what it says. The Lord describes the Babylon as being puffed up, but the righteous live by faith. You know, they're puffed up, but the righteous, we live by what? Faith. Faith in who? God. Okay? We're not looking to ourselves. Here's what else he says. The character of Babylon is marked by drunkenness, arrogance, and greed. That's who they were. That's who they were. So here's what he does. He's going to pronounce some judgments, and he's going to use... So each pronouncement begins with a woe. Remember why we talked about woe before? Some of the other prophets have used that. Maybe you remember hee-haw, okay? Woe is me and agony. You know, some of you can quote that. I can remember that. You know, the, those guys sitting there, you know, talking about gloom and doom. Woe, okay? So here's the woes, okay? Babylon is condemned for plundering, for the plundering of the nations it has defeated. So it didn't just defeat the nations. I mean, it stripped them of all of their resources and, and money and wealth and, and, and of slaves and so forth. It plundered them. So woe to them for that. Here's the other woe. Babylon is condemned for using unjust game for self-exaltation and pride. So what did they do with the stuff they stripped? It was not to help people. It was to make themselves look better. And more grand and everything. It's for its pride. That was the purpose, is, is to exalt themselves. And so woe to them. Babylon is condemned for their building with the shedding of blood and iniquity. So this great nation, Babylon, how do they do it? On the blood of others and with sin. So woe to them. He's, it's not like God doesn't aware of what's going on. He's pronouncing woe on them. Here's the other one. 
Babylon is condemned for the indignity that they have inflicted on others. They didn't just defeat people, they humiliated them. What do you mean humiliated them? Well, I already told you how they carried people away in exile. They followed the suit of the Assyrians. Fish hook in their mouth, carrying them back to Babylon. The indignation that they made people suffer. And then finally, Babylon is condemned for its idolatry. For its idolatry. Because they didn't realize it was the Lord who gave them, who had them being used to defeat Jerusalem. But what did they do? They still mocked God. So they were condemned. Okay? So now we get to chapter 3 and we're going to see the prophet's prayer. Okay? The prophet's prayer in chapter 3. I want you to notice the first part of his prayer in verses 1 to 2. All right? So this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Because here's where he ends up. Remember I told you last week, Habakkuk moves from doubt to faith. The book of Habakkuk moves you from doubt, and we can resonate with his doubt because the questions he's asking are the same questions. God, why aren't you answering? Why are you using evil people? Those are the kind of things that we ask. Okay? So from doubt to faith, and so we're going to see it here in chapter 3. Okay? Here's what happens. The prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And his splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Let me stop there, because the rest of it is just a recounting of history. So first thing I want you to notice, verse 2, the prophet recalls the report of the Lord and he expressed his fear of God. So if God's telling you, here's my answer, get the bigger picture, I'm bringing an enemy, I'm bringing Babylon and he's going to judge Jerusalem and Judah and you're the prophet who's in Jerusalem and Judah, how are you going to feel about that? Mike says, not good. How many of you are going to be like, are you going to be nervous? Are you going to be afraid? Yeah, you're going to fear the Lord, right? You're going to be like, what's this going to mean for me? What's this going to mean for my family? What's this going to mean for my friends, my neighbors? Okay? So he recalls the report of the Lord, and so what does he do? He expresses his fear. So, okay, stop for a moment. Is it okay to tell God you're afraid? Do you do that? Yeah, it's okay. God, I'm afraid of what's happening. I'm afraid, and you can express. Sometimes our fears don't necessarily materialize, but it's okay to express to him. God, I think this is going to happen. I'm assuming this is going to happen here. So he hears the report of the Lord, and he expresses his fear. So he prayed for the renewal of God's power and the display of his mercy to the nation. Because here's what he's saying. God, you're going to do what you're going to do, but remember, remember mercy. Remember mercy. Now, why can he do that? Why can he express, I know you're going to do what you're going to do, but remember mercy. What, what, how is he able to do that? Think about it for a moment. 
How's, God, how's Habakkuk able to ask for mercy? Because he knows he's going to renew God's power. He's going to do what he has to do. Look with me at verse 2. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. So that's talking about his plan here. Make it known. Do what you're going to do. Carry out your plan. Bring Babylon. But here's what he says. In wrath. Who's wrath? God's wrath. In wrath, remember what? Mercy. So what's he asking? Okay, and be what? Merciful. Merciful. See, even though you, you are going through it, sometimes, all right, so let's take even, our, even in our own lives. So do we face the discipline of God? Yeah, for what? Our sins. And so sometimes when you are facing the discipline of God in your life for sins, okay, is it okay to say to God, be merciful? How, how can we do that? In our relationship, right? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? He has a real, he, this is his God. He knows, he's, and, and, and God's revealing to this him to him. So he's like, okay, God, carry it out. But remember what? Mercy, be merciful with us. There's nothing wrong with talking about that and asking that. Because, huh? Yes, he wants us, you know. Yeah, and be merciful. Even though you know, because sometimes, let's be honest, does some of this stuff, do we create it ourselves? Do we, is it the consequence? Don't we ask for mercy in the midst of our consequences? Okay, all right, that's good, Bruce. Say it out loud so everybody hears you. Do you hear what he said? If it's not for God's mercy, none of us have hope. So what's he doing? He's moving from, God, why, why are you doing this, God? Why are you doing this? And I don't understand. You're not answering me. Why are you using those people to where now he's like, okay, God, I understand your plan. Your plan, let it happen. But be what? Merciful. He's moving to a place of hope. Okay? He's moving to a place of hope. In fact, what he then does is, okay, the prophet recalls the coming of God's glory and his mighty works in the past. So when you look at verses 3 through 15, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a reciting of what God has done in the past with the people. He's recalling, God, you did this, and you were merciful, and you, and you watched over us, and you did all of these things. Why is he doing that? He's, he's not just reminding God, but who else is he reminding Himself. So, because why? Okay, remember when we're going through it, where's our focus? Tunnel vision, right? And when you're tunnel vision, what do you forget? What's, what's that? Everything around you and what God has done in the past, right? Because right now the crisis you're in is the worst thing you've ever gone through and you're not making through this and God, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this and you forget that you've been through what before. Sometimes even worse, right? And who got you through it? God. 
Sometimes you got to remind yourself, again, get the bigger picture, not just the bigger picture of what's happening around you, God's bigger picture of what he's doing, but get a picture, bigger picture of God and what he's done, okay? God and what he's done. So he recalls the coming of God's glory and his mighty works in the past. So here's, here's where we're going to focus our attention on is the last few verses. Look with me at verses 16 through 19. Here's what he says in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. The rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who, await, who invade us. Though the fig tree shall not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of, olive, of the olive fail, and the fields yield, yield no food, and flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Lord, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my, on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. That's instructions concerning the psalm. All right, so what I want you to see here. First of all, the prophet expresses his trembling and fear, but he'll wait for the coming judgment. All right, I know this is going to happen, but I'm waiting for you to fulfill what you're going to say, God, and take care of the Babylonians. I'll wait. Where's he doing? He's going to a place of faith, right? Okay, I know this has got to take place, but I'm trembling, and look at how he describes himself. My body trembles, my lips quiver, rottenness is into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I'm going to wait in faith. Even though I'm scared, I'm going to wait in faith. Okay, here's the final thing. Even though there will be devastation. Okay, so when he describes here, the fig tree shall not blossom, the fruit of the, on the vines and the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flocks will be cut off from the fold, there is no herd in the stalls. What's he talking about? Devastation. Okay, so even though there will be devastation, the prophet finds his joy in the Lord. His hope is where? In God. Now, do you think that's a message for us? As you look at what's happening, as you look at your news, as you look at what's happening in your life with all the stuff that's going on around you, and it just seems like it's enough to make you scared, right? But where is your hope do you understand what I'm saying? You got your hope has to be in who? The Lord. This is an awesome book, isn't it? Wow. Worth the read, huh? Worth the read. All right, now, next week, we're going to get into Zephaniah, okay, who is another contemporary of Habakkuk. So we'll talk about Zephaniah next week.